We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast and welcome to Internal Development, a series of five podcasts covering the five most important young Phoenix Suns player. We're on the final episode covering the final player of this series. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam as always. Sam, how are you doing? The most important player, some <laughs> yeah. might say, we're covering today. Should be should be fun. I think it's been a good series so far and uh, I think we're ready to wrap it up. Yes, and also joining us, friend of ours and uh, purveyor of Zona Hoops, our friend Brandon. Brandon, how are you doing? Doing great. You know, I didn't think I'd be back on the timeline, uh, you know, but my agent gave me a call when I was in the pool, and, uh, you know, I, I was happy to jump on. If you know, you know. Yeah. You what was your to... what was your reaction in the in the pool, Brandon? What did you what did you do when you got the call? You know, I thought it was a prank call at first or something. I was like, "This is too good to be true." Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was just happy to get to work and uh, glad to get a second chance. All of all of the exposure that we're gonna rain down on Zona Hoops. Glad <laughs> glad you could make it. <laughs> I had to pull the campaign yeah. angle there, you know, just to get it started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you'd be back for the draft because uh, we don't know anything about it. I guess there might not be a draft. The Suns aren't going to have any picks in, in this next draft. So there could have been a gap, a gap year where you didn't join us on the podcast, but I'm glad you're back. And I think this will be a really interesting episode to talk about. Um, I think we should just get right into it. Uh, the internal development of Cameron Payne. Now the story about an NBA team that lost everything and the one thing that had no choice but to make them all better. It's internal development. All right, guys, by now, hopefully the listeners know how these go. I know you guys know how it goes. We're going to start off this conversation talking about what Cameron Payne was good at, who he was in this last season. And, and you know, for him, 
it's really the only relevant season of his career so far outside of the games that he played with the Suns in the bubble which was technically last season. It all feels like one big long season, especially for Cameron Payne. And I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation for Cameron Payne because he's really good at a lot of stuff. And I think we haven't really gotten a chance to sort of pause and take notice at all of the things that he's good at. And I've sort of started this conversation the same for all of these guys. And I'll start with you, Brandon. When you think about Cameron Payne as a player, what comes to mind? Who is he as a player to you? Cameron Payne is a shifty, bursty, creative microwave scorer that can bring life into an at times lifeless Suns offense. We've seen in the past where things are stagnant and he just comes in and just completely turns the tide of a game, whether it was a regular season, the bubble, or mo- like more notably the playoffs. Um, having that luxury off the bench just like an energy spark plug that can get downhill on a team that doesn't have a lot of downhill threats with that inside gravity. Um, just putting that rim pressure on, the occasional pull-up shooting, just um, everything you need in a microwave bench score and more. And I think the leaps he's made, just taking a step back, just where he's come in just like a year is insane. And it's not normal. So I, don't, I think Suns fans should not take that for granted at all. What do you think, Sam? Yeah, they definitely shouldn't take that for granted. I think Brandon said it best there about who Cam is as as a player. So I'll just add that like when I think of campaign, I was actually really excited to record this episode because I think of a guy who's just pure unadulterated fun. He's remains one of the greatest stories that I've personally had the pleasure of following in the NBA in, in all my life and has quickly skyrocketed up my list of like favorite Phoenix Suns ever. Like we're talking about Cam who he is as a player. He does a lot of stuff well, respective to his position and the expectations that were placed upon him. That doesn't mean he's a better player than Devin Booker or Chris Paul or DeAndre Ayton or as talented as all these these guys we've already covered in this in the series. But he's he's just so fun. He's so easy to root for. You get so mm-hmm. much pleasure like watching him, you know, with the hesitation moves and getting downhill, being crafty, like Brandon said, hitting the pull-up threes, finding guys in the pick and roll. It's mm-hmm. just every every moment of the campaign experience last year was joyous um, for me. So that's honestly what I think of. I think of a guy who, like, I, I am ecstatic that they brought him back on the contract that they did. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully he's got a lot more growth left in him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for me that the things that come to mind are uh, the best, one of the best stories in the in the NBA, just the story of him being completely out of the league and and some of the things that the Chicago Bulls said about him. As we all know, they, they said in their second practice with Cameron Payne, they thought he wasn't an NBA player. And, you know, in a sense, they were right. <laughs> he was out of the league pretty quickly and then made his way back in thanks to uh, Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns. Monty Williams had a familiarity with him from the OKC Thunder, felt comfortable with him being the backup point guard on the Suns, and he was absolutely right for the bubble and beyond. And and the and the other thing that comes to mind for me, beyond this, this, the story about who he is and his return to the NBA, is that he's just kind of the perfect backup point guard. Like, he does a lot of the things that you need the backup point guard position to to do uh, exactly right. I mean, you you want someone who's capable of scoring. I think often when you think about a six man, which I think he's the six man for the team because you know Cameron Johnson plays so much off the ball. Uh, I don't really consider that 
sixth man in my mind. Like you think about the sixth man of the year award and the type of person that that goes to, it has to go to someone generally that creates their own offense. And that's something that he does really well. But he also is pretty good at, at creating for other guys. And, and when we talk about just the scoring in general, listen to this one. And this is, this is I think, goes to his shot creation and his ability to play with other guys. But on catch-and-shoot threes, according to B-Ball Index, he's shooting 48.9% on catch-and-shoot threes for this last season. I mean, this guy is insanely efficient at scoring and I think that's that's like one of the most valuable shots you can imagine at, at the three-point shot I mean when you're playing with someone like Chris Paul when you're playing with someone like Devin Booker you need to be able to play on the ball ideally and off the ball when you're at that guard position and he's capable of doing both and I think for him coming back to the NBA rejoining an NBA team shooting and his ability to shoot was probably the most important development for him because if he couldn't shoot it may have been over for him. He may not have had a career in the NBA. Not only can he shoot, I think he's shooting better than I even expected. And you mentioned pull-up threes, just for context there too, 37.3% on pull-up threes too, which is one of the best on the Phoenix Suns. So not only is he hitting catch-and-shoot shots at an insane percentage, the pull-up threes is a high percentage shoot, well above average Much for better those than Devin Booker. <laughs> better than Devin Booker, it's on par yes. basically with, with, with Chris Paul, yeah essentially and it's been very good i think for the shooting that's probably been the biggest surprise for me when he i mean i expected almost nothing when he joined the suns for the bubble so what surprised you and what do you think about his shooting brandon well yeah he's proven me wrong twice already the bubble i was like why the hell are we bringing this guy in um definitely eight crow happily there you know shooting 50 plus percent from three i think the shooting's real and that's definitely like the major uh point i'd like to start at because, like you mentioned, 37 on pull-ups, uh, 44% on the season on 166 attempts. And his balance is is pretty uncanny. It's 43% left corner, 44% right corner, uh, 44% above the break, which is where the majority of his attempts came. And just having that balance where there's not really a weak spot in his three-point shot is what makes him such a dynamic scoring threat when you factor in the burst and just his ability to get downhill. It just makes him such a tough cover and like you know this like you said like this guy was not a good nba player he was probably statistically one of the worst um before he came here and to go from that to cooking lebron james in the nba playoffs is just yeah it's unreal like it just doesn't happen and like i was going to like research like players that had a similar path to pain and there just aren't any like there's there's some players that have had like um, their trajectory changed late in their career and like made these mm-hmm. leaps kind of out of nowhere. But just to go from out of the league in China, in the G League, uh, to this—that's a good point. This quickly, PJ Tucker. It just it's probably yeah, yeah. That, that's a good one. Um, yeah, but it's just it's so rare, and I think that's kind of why I'm a little bit higher on his upside and potential. It's not what you typically think of as a 27 year old because the NBA is all about three things: talent opportunity and confidence and he's always had the talent and he's even had some opportunity but he was never had that confidence and now that he has that and he has everything kind of put together in a perfect system I think that's why he's flourishing and I at this point like he's legit there's no question uh his contract is one of the biggest steals of the offseason so just really cool as a Suns fan to have a guy that genuinely wants to be here and has you know had, had the story that he had to get here 
trying to think of I'm trying to think of other examples of guys that you were talking about. You you mentioned PJ Tucker, Mike, uh, maybe like Seth Curry, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel House, former Suns Daniel legends. House. They're all Suns related. They yeah, are. Yeah, <laughs> actually, they are all Suns legends. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, how I often think, how cool would it have been had Seth Curry had that confidence to what you were talking about? Um, Zona when he signed the 10 day contract with the Suns and like if he could have started his ascent then I mean he's just a role player but would have been a nice like extra six or seventh man for the Suns to have throughout these years Um, speaking of Seth Curry Cam shot you mentioned the 49% on catch and shoot threes Mike that was fifth in the entire NBA just to contextualize it Mm. directly ahead of Seth Curry um, as well as Joe Ingles CJ McCollum I mean fifth in the NBA (laughs) That's pretty fucking insane, insane yeah. given where yeah. this guy was a couple of years ago. it's You really can't get much better than that. Yeah, and I love that point about talent, opportunity, and confidence, Brandon. And I think Sam and I, on every single one of these episodes, and I keep teasing it, at some point we're going to have to talk about this, the challenge that Monty Williams is going to have this coming season, doling out the possessions to these guys. But opportunity-wise... Cameron Payne makes his own. You you don't need to call his play. You don't need to run his play. He, first of all, he's a point guard, so the ball's in his hand more often. But also, he can create for himself really well. Like, really, really well. And I tweeted this stat out a couple weeks ago um, after Sam made a Cameron Payne video for players who isolated at least as much as Cameron Payne, which is like a few times a game. Uh, Cam is 14th in the whole NBA in points per possession. He is insanely good at creating offense for himself. And part of that is just sort of the running the team thing with him, like understanding when to isolate, understanding when he has the mismatch. And for him, uh, I think being left-handed is almost one of his good <laughs> his good qualities because teams tend to forget that he's left-handed and how good he is at going left. And that's something like... Sam talked about in our last episode, sometimes uh, understanding those types of things lags behind. And now that he's had a good season, maybe they start trying to force him right a little bit more. We'll see. Oh, it's it's going to be tougher on him this year. No yeah, doubt. Absolutely. But like to be able to score that efficiently means that uh, you don't have to you don't have to give him the touches. He's going to take them himself. He's going to find opportunities to score himself and being able to uh, finish efficiently at the rim, which is something he's insanely good at, especially for his size and shoot that pull up three and shoot that catch and shoot three means that guys are constantly sort of in this state of uh, trying to ensure that they have the room to chase him to the rim. If he does drive because he's fast and also very good at sort of changing his speed or defend that three-pointer, and if they're up on him, his decision-making and understanding when to blow by them or when to shoot that three has been like a veteran. Like, he he doesn't... And I know, I know technically, right, he's like 26. He's like the oldest guy <laughs> that we're doing in this, in this series uh, outside of Cameron Johnson, who I think is 35 years old. Uh, but Cameron Payne is technically the age of a veteran but he hasn't he you know he's not really a veteran he hasn't played uh you know this run in the playoffs where he actually started a game and played insanely well in the game was uh the most he's played in the playoffs you know this last season was the most he's played in a season meaningful minutes he's played in a season i know he's played starting in some teams um but like the decision making has been at a very high level i think for for him so i think when we're talking about uh opportunity 
he's going to have a lot of a lot of it this next season. And and you know, as Chris Paul gets older, we've talked about it um, in previous episodes on this podcast. It's going to be a conversation throughout the year. Uh, he might start more games too, and and he didn't really start any in this last year. Um, even when Chris Paul sat, there were other guys that started at times in this last year. I think I have a feeling that he's going to start more games for the Suns going forward, and we're going to see him take a lot of opportunities um, going forward. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah, a uh, crazy stat I found is yeah, only one game started last season for the Suns, like during the regular season. He had more in the playoffs uh, too. Mm-hmm. So three starts total. That just kind of shows you that Chris Paul – you know, does not want to sit down. But I think this year in an 82-game season with a short turnaround and everything he went through, um, the fact that they signed Alfred Payton kind of, you know, tips to the point that I think there's going to be some back-to-back resting occasionally. Um, and there's going to be more opportunity for Payton. And I think uh, one other thing I'd like to highlight in his strengths is just his ability to use the glass and use the rim. Mm-hmm. Unlike anyone I've seen, like, he makes a defender decide, like, either you're going to commit to you know my strong side trying to block my shot and i'll just go up and under and reverse it or i'm just going to throw it off the glass like up and under quicker than you have like time to react like i've the way he does that Mm -hmm. is so quick that defenders don't really have a chance to react and that's why he can blow by some of those bigger defenders and he's really good at freezing the defenders and pick and rolls too when he gets a bigger guy on him just make attacking that back heel the second they come up and just blowing by them like whether it was LeBron or even Chris Middleton, the Bucks, um, you know, Marcus Morris, Paul George, like he was taking it right at these guys. So that's something the Suns need too, is just more creation outside of Booker um, in that regard. So the long-term fit with Booker, I think too, is something we could talk about later, but I really like it just because you could play him on and off ball and yeah. he fits exactly what you need. Um to give Booker those breaks, but he's also doesn't need, he's not going to be ball dominant either. So it's kind of that perfect blend of, um, you know, just balance offensively. So looking forward to him in the second unit with uh, Landry Shamit too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've mentioned Landry Shamit's name like a dozen <laughs> times throughout this series of looking forward <laughs> shout, to Landry Shamit playing with hoops. this guy. Yeah. yeah. Shout, shout, shout do you need a trigger? Do you need a trigger warning before we mention it? No, that's you know I'll be fine. I think uh, he's going to be good. I I just we've been like oh I can't wait for Landry Shamit to play with Cam Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, uh, campaign. Okay, so the entire damn team then <laughs> like we just want to see Landry Shamit in every possible lineup combination. But yeah, man, Cam's really fun. You you were talking again, Zona, about just like him making. LeBron look old in the playoffs is was one of my highlights and you know I think emphasizes the the thing that's so funny about Cam is sometimes people say he's really fast and I kind of I kind of disagree with that I, I think Cam is fast don't get me wrong I think he's got a quick first step and all that but you know he went what like 14th overall back in the draft like out of Murray State and I if I recall the scouting reports from like before that draft you know, it was kind of his lack of elite tier explosiveness that sort of held him back from when he was otherwise like a good crafty ball handling type prototype. Um, and if and maybe if he did have really such elite speed, like I think he's got good end to end speed and transition, but some of that explosiveness that you might actually expect, and I'll, I'll explain in a second why this is not a bad thing. It, it might sound like I'm criticizing him, but I promise I'm not, um, is... Like, maybe he would have been, like, a a top-five prospect if he really did have that explosiveness. But so the lack of that, you said it best, Mike, really forces him to change speeds. 
And I think that's where Cam yeah. has shown himself in his rejuvenation with Phoenix to be elite. It's not so much that he's the, the most gifted athletic guy who can just take any player in the NBA off the dribble um, just through, through sheer power. Um, but the contrast between the low gears and the high gears and then learning how to time those makes him look faster than maybe he actually is. Like yep. he stays really low on his drives. He stays really balanced. And that's how he gets those guys with like, you were mentioning Brandon, that really quick, like up and under finger roll that is just elite level touch at this point and seems to go in every time. Yeah, the change of pace yeah. is a really good point. And I think his deceleration too is, is really mm-hmm. uh, something that stood out just watching tape again. Um, and then, you know, reaccelerating as soon as he gets you on that back foot and you're off balance, he's so good at reading that. So yeah, speed's not really what creates those lanes. It's just his, his basketball IQ and just his feel for, you know, reading defenders like in live dribble situations, which uh, really opens up so many driving lanes. And um, to your point in the Booker episode, actually, I think that's, um, you know, in terms of getting Booker more corner threes, playing with pain, uh, and those downhill actions could really open up some some looks in the weak side corner uh, for Booker. So that's just something I wanted to throw in there because they just don't have a lot of rim pressure uh, across the board. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of where it, one way it could come into play and and help with uh, Booker getting Booker some more looks where he's elite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget um, this stat on James Harden. <clears throat> they measured his basically his athleticism, and James Harden was not elite in anything. Uh, except stopping. <laughs> he was the best at stopping of any player in the NBA. And it's just a reminder of sort of athleticism and how we measure things. It's not always just the top speed, right? It's not necessarily just acceleration. Uh, the word that you started with, Brandon, I think to start with this conversation was shifty. And that's what it is. It's it's being able to stop and go and stop and go. And that can fool guys. And even when we're talking about, I was looking for things to improve on and I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up now because it ended up being not necessarily something that I could say that he needs to improve on it's a pull-up mid-range shot when I was thinking about something that he could work on and get better at I thought about specifically being able to pull up out of a pick and roll from the mid-range area when defenders back up on him which they do tend to do when he gets them at the rim a few times right they'll back up load up at the rim and try and stop him from there uh and I still think there is some elements of how he can improve in decision making in that specific scenario. But just pull up the pull up two pointers. He shot fifty percent on pull up two pointers this last year, according to the NBA tracking stats, which is just really good. And and I think that's being able to stop. And I think for him, it's like one a game that he shoots, maybe. So it's not like he does it that often. And he tends to be wide open when he does it, which is another point towards uh, his decision making there. Um, he still is able to make that. I do think it's a little bit unnatural for him to shoot a, a pull up two from that area because his shot's kind of weird. Uh, one foot's way in front of the other. It his shoulder's kind of yeah. back. You know, yeah, it's not it like, like a this natural. Shot or like a- yeah. There's no smooth. It's not like Booker or Paul shooting from, from mid range. There's no sort of smooth, all body moving and sort of one motion shot from mid-range no he'll he'll take take that dribble a hard dribble around a screen and then just stop on a dime and then the players backing up and backpedaling because they know he can finish the rim really well 
and then he'll be wide open and then he can shoot that mid-range shot so it's not I don't think that that's going to be like a major part of his game going forward because mechanically it just doesn't make a lot of sense um, but he's still relatively good at it much better at shooting that shot than I anticipated when I looked up the stats one thing I want to bring up too and I think we should talk about his defense here too because I think it's pretty damn good especially statistically but effort now effort is something that we've talked about some guys need to improve on some guys are good at it Cameron Payne is always good at effort like he is 100 percent uh all the time <laughs> he never slows down his effort um look whether that be defense defensively or offensively putting the right pressure offensively or defensively now there are things we can talk about defensively later um but effort wise I'm thinking there's a famous clip that I posted online of him boxing out Zion Williamson, right? And that's not a that's not a one-time thing. If he gets switched onto a big guy defensively, he's going hard. <laughs> he's going hard at that big guy. He's not conceding the points and just getting back on offense. He's just going to make it as difficult as as possible, whether that be boxing out, denying the ball defensively, or playing up and trying to make a guy uncomfortable and I think effort is one of those things that it's it's immeasurable you have to really watch the games to understand the level of effort that someone's bringing on a night-to-night basis but when someone brings 100% effort in every single game it's a skill and it's hard to argue that it's not a skill and Cameron Payne has the effort skill he never lets up his effort it's always there every single game whether that be in the playoffs or a random regular season game. He's he's giving it all. And I think this is to your point, Sam, about him being sort of your favorite player on the team, even though he's not necessarily a star. I think that, does that have something, am I wrong to assume that his effort all the time has something to do with that, Sam? No, not not at all. That's, you know, you like hard workers. It's a, a classic thing that I think exists as a trope for, for basically everyone. Yeah, Cam's effort really stands out it especially when you think about what the sun's depth chart was like how risky is it for him to to sacrifice his body in guarding zion and um rigo bear i remember at one time and you posted a couple other clips throughout the season but like going up against those guys when you know that if you take an elbow to to the wrong place and suddenly you're out for two weeks or a month or whatever etuan moore is going to be <laughs> no offense but etuan moore is going to be that third string point guard or javon carter is going to be that third third string point guard um cam was really critical to play as many minutes for the suns as he did last year even if he was a backup and the fact that that didn't affect the way that he played defense is definitely inspirational yeah, yeah. I, agree. I agree and i think that's a good point to bring up because there's like face mask lebron untucked Kyrie, and like hoodie mellow and there's campaign <laughs> on a mismatch in the post you're like you're not going to score on him. <laughs> He's just so like it's that Chris Paul gene where it's like a competitive edge. Like he takes it personal in a way, and mm-hmm. whether it's boxing out or just guarding in the post and you know forcing them to throw it away. Like it's it's really impressive, and I think that just comes down to effort. He's always sprinting back on defense. Like just looking at the little things. Just going back looking at his film uh, recently. Just. He, he sprints like literally all the time like everywhere he goes he's, he's sprinting so yeah. I think that just kind of translates to everything he does on the court and you know that injection of reality of you know getting demoted um, and losing his job in the league kind of was a reality check that he probably needed to understand that it's not going to be easy so I think that's something that's just going to be a part of him going forward he's not going to forget what got him here and uh, you know he's he's definitely going to want another contract so I think this is just the beginning, and 
Um, mm-hmm. I'll just throw this take out there. I think he's the point guard of the future for the Suns. Wow. And we've let's talked hold about up, it before. Let's Sam. hold off on that. Let's talk about that at the end. Let's <laughs> I'm interested. I'm interested because we've 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 brought up the uh, the prospect of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, before I on this think, podcast, but we've seen a lot more of him now. I think. I think we can we can save that overall conversation for the end when we talk about confidence. Um, mm-hmm. But what I will say, just to to your point, Mike, about just effort being a skill, it is absolutely 100 percent a skill. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt because if it wasn't, everyone would be doing it. But when you see Cam doing this, like we talk about him changing speeds on offense. He's also changing speeds on defense. He's like, it's just another gear that he shifts into. You know, Cam's a 12-speed bike. A lot of these other guys are <laughs> seven speeds. When you compare the two of them side by side, the difference becomes clear. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, I agree with that. And I think we should talk about defense in general. Now, I, I, I sort of want, I almost want to say that defense is an area of improvement. And I think there are areas that he can improve defensively. But it's hard. It's hard to argue that it's a negative. I th- I think he's a positive defender. I think his team defense is good. He's smart, like we talked about on switches. He's going to give a hundred percent effort on those switches. He's going to deny the ball. He's going to push up on them. He's going to take an elbow to the face. He's going to get in their uh, uncomfortable spaces and try to make it as uncomfortable as possible for those players. But also in perimeter defense, he's good. Like he's a good perimeter defender. When we talk about just watching him play defense he's good but also like graded out on the b-ball index stats that we've been using on all these podcasts he's really good at it like i mean there are elements that he can't get better at but like his pickpocket rating like one of the ones for steals he's an a minus loose ball recovery rate i love this one specifically for cameron Payne. so recovering a loose ball when it's available He's an A minus there too. He's one of the tops in the league in that, which is an effort if, stat. If you, you rank know? out in the hundredth percentile for that one, it's just a picture of Javon Carter on the spreadsheet. Just <laughs> <laughs> his face. Uh, yeah, and you know deflections he he rates relatively well in steals he rates relatively well in, uh, and he's just he he gives a lot of effort defensively. He's never really a problem, I think, defensively. We saw guys getting targeted in the playoffs. I think towards the end of the playoffs and finals, it was Chris Paul. I think. Um, the majority of the time it's rare that teams tried to uh, target Cameron Payne over I mean they do try but I don't think that it's like a really beneficial tactic for the other team I think in most cases he does relatively well defensively what do you think about his defense Brandon I think he kind of nailed everything so far as, as far as his activity and you know the team defense he's smart he knows where to be and, and honestly it's kind of tough on this Suns team to be a bad team defender just because of how uh, good everyone is across the board, like in their system. Mm-hmm. Like I think everyone's just so well prepared. You'd really kind of almost have to go out of your way to be a poor team defender. And I think that's why for someone like Devin Booker, um, the effort in terms of like this, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but I'll tie it back into pain. Um, the, the workload that someone like book has as far as offensively and, and defensively just throughout the game it's a lot harder to sustain that level of engagement defensively whereas someone like Payne he's only playing 18 minutes a game in the regular season uh, in the playoffs he had a little bit more responsibility but um, the one knock and it's not even really a knock on him it's just it's sample size like it's a lot easier to have that energy and effort when you're playing in those short bursts so that's why I think um, there is risk involved in terms of what is he going to sacrifice if you give this guy the keys to the franchise as far as like being mm-hmm. that, that point guard of the future? 
can he play those long minutes? Because like this season, uh, he only played, I think it was six games with 25 or more minutes during the regular season and five of those during the playoffs. So it's an 11 game sample size and the numbers are incredible actually. It's uh, 16.7 points and 6.7 assists with a true shooting of 62.4 with uh, 74 assists to 20 turnovers and a plus 89 in those games. So mm-hmm. offensively, there wasn't really a downfall with him. Uh, but defensively, that's my one concern is like, can he sustain that for long periods of time? Um, mm-hmm. That's just something that we, we don't know yet because it, it's yeah. easy to be that microwave guy and mm-hmm. go all out all the time. But, you know, can, can he do that for 30, 35 minutes a game? Well, I'll be honest. I almost sort of hope we don't find out because that would mean <laughs> yeah, not, not something anytime bad. soon. <laughs> that would mean something bad happened to Chris Paul. Now, I do think there's an extra five minutes per game for him this year, though, that, uh, you know, an opportunity that he could seize. Chris Paul goes down from, say, 31, 32 to, like, 27, 28. I could totally see that. So, yeah. you know, gradually, progressively, we'll see it, I think. Yeah, not not to mention, Monty really didn't start playing Cameron Payne with Chris Paul until, like, the last month and a half of the season. Uh, so and that worked really well like at that point of the season it just started to make a lot of sense and we'll see Sam if Shamit takes some of those minutes but I have a feeling no I you know if if Cameron Payne can continue to hit catch and shoot threes at that high of a level which I I really have no reason to believe that he won't be able to at this point uh, it makes sense to have another ball handler on the floor with Chris Paul when you can so opening up the minutes when Chris Paul is playing to, to not necessarily have just like Devin Booker or somebody who's a bigger uh, player to be able to defend and adding Cameron Payne to that mix could open up more minutes for him there as well. So yeah, I think you're right that there could be more opportunities for him. And look, it's hard to argue that he hasn't earned it too. He's hitting his shots. His isolation efficiency is like at a star level. Like it's a star level (laughs) isolation (laughs) efficiency and that's not an exaggeration. Um, and it's not on a small number. Like well, he, he, he is isolating quite a bit for a player yeah. in his position. And and on that point, because we're only sort of just now talking about the whole dual guard thing of, of multiple guys who could put the ball on the floor in the same lineup. The Suns d- didn't really ever go to the three guard lineup this year. They did it for like maybe 10 minutes all season. I remember seeing it a couple of yeah. times and like doing the, the Leo meme at my yeah. TV and like p- pointing. There it is. Yeah. Because we, we want, were desperate we, for it on this we've podcast, we talked about it multiple times. Yeah. It would. Are we all in agreement that it depends on matchup? It depends on opponent. But that would work, I think. Yes. I, I really think yeah. it, would, it would work. To borrow a term from Igor, rest in peace, wherever he is. But <laughs> you know, you've got three guys who statistically have demonstrated that they are good in pick and roll offense. So you get those three guys on the court at the same time, and you you put the defense in a blender. You have you run multiple actions, multiple side to side movements between the three of them on the perimeter. Good things would happen. I agree, especially when the offense is stagnant or in one of those ruts where it seems like no one can get a shot. Um, why not? Yes, I agree. For the record, Igor Kokoshkov is coaching Luka Doncic now as an assistant coach. Him and Jared Dudley on the Dallas ah, Mavericks. Legends, they're everywhere. He got about that. he got there eventually. Um, good for him. Good for him. But I'll say just from a general perspective, I think there has never been a scenario where more ball handling and more shot creation has made a team worse. (laughs) It just makes teams better. So putting more and more on the floor at a time is never a bad thing, especially when uh, guys like 
specifically Cameron Payne is so effective at shooting in a catch and shoot scenario. Uh, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into the ways that Cameron Payne can improve, which I think will be a very interesting aspect of this conversation. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about Cameron Payne and how he can improve the internal development of Cameron Payne, which I'll be honest with you guys, I kind of struggled. I kind of struggled finding areas for him to improve because with Cameron he's Payne, perfect. he's good at shooting. He's good at creating his own offense. He's kind of like if Daryl Morey created a backup point guard robot. It would just be Cameron Payne. <laughs> I, yeah, he's got he, he's got like the plus six or seven inches on his wingspan that like everyone tries to draft for, right? Yeah, and then just hits threes and makes layups. He he's, he, he never is. really shoots mid range shots, like almost never. Which I mean, I guess you could say is a negative, but like he's insanely efficient at the rim. He's insanely efficient at the three point line. He's a good decision maker, and he plays solid defense. So coming up with areas other than like just a general idea of. He can improve at all of these things a little bit, which is kind of how we talked about Cameron Johnson. Um, except with with Cameron Payne, he does so much for himself. And I know mm. we're on to the part of the conversation where we talk about uh, ways he can improve. Um, but just, just to give you a stat on what he can do for himself, his catch-and-shoot-to-pull-up three-pointer ratio is 58% to 42%. That means that 42% of his three-point shots are pull-up shots. That's a huge margin. It's like a really, really large margin of his shots as pull-up shots. So, like, he does so much for himself and does so much on his own uh, that it becomes a little bit difficult uh, to find ways. Or for me, it was a little difficult to find things that he can improve on. I still found stuff, of course. I mean, we're doing this episode. uh, So, so of course, I did find stuff. But I'm going to put you guys on the spot first. 
before I get into what I uh, wrote down. So, Brandon, when you think about how Cameron Payne can improve, what's something that comes to mind for you? I'm in uh, total agreement with you. This is definitely the most difficult thing to grasp as far as like it feels like you're almost like nitpicking or going out of your way. But mm-hmm. that's what we do here. <laughs> that's our specialty. <laughs> we do a podcast every week. We have to nitpick. True, true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say there's nothing like glaringly obvious. But for me, and this is something he's actually improved on throughout this season, just heading into the playoffs, you can notice it is just being a point guard, like just knowing how to facilitate, mm. um, balancing out when to attack, when to create for himself, and also uh, when to create for others. And the main thing, if he wants to play next to Booker more often, is just knowing when to get the hell out of his way. And I think he's done he's uh-huh. done a really good job of doing that. And I think the growth he showed in the playoffs kind of uh, makes that makes me a lot more comfortable in him being a point guard. Like that 29.9 assists, zero turnover game in game two of the Western Conference Finals against an elite defense is just like – can we talk about that? Like that, that's just insane. Yeah, I mean, zero turnovers. I mean, yeah, that's a Chris Paul type of stat line. So that that's not normal, like normal from a backup point guard that doesn't really have that experience in the playoffs to just come in and do that. Like it, it takes a lot of balls first off um, to score twenty nine points without zero turnovers and also get those nine dimes. Like he just he was in complete control of the game. So I think being in that mode, obviously he doesn't have to put up stat lines like that every night, but just. Learning how to be a point guard is probably the one thing I think that he's getting better at, but there's still room for improvement with like shot selection at times, or um, you know he's really good at finishing at the rim, but sometimes in that little floater like mid range area, like he doesn't commit to his shot. So uh, like Mike was saying, just adding that mid range game is kind of the next step, and that's the main thing I think offensively. You look at his his repertoire, and there's everything in his bag. It's just that that midi that isn't there and it might not be for the best for it to, or it might be the be for the best for it not to be there. Sorry. But uh, mm-hmm. he's just, because of how his shot is so awkward. So um, yeah, overall, I think it's just kind of incrementally getting better at a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Sam, what do you with, think? Um, with learning how to be a point, uh, point guard to use what you said, Brandon, I'll, I'll kind of take that trail and continue it on in a little bit of a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I focused in on his playmaking. Now, I'll start off by saying Cam averaged, I think it was seven assists per 36 this year. He also had a really good assist-to-turnover ratio by any kind of objective measure there. Yeah. He's a good playmaking point guard. His his playmaking stats are good. Where I think he can start to improve and where I'm going to nitpick is understanding the pace of the offense, specifically in terms of not, not so much like when you get shots off, but keeping guys engaged and happy and... um knowing how to balance the offense of who gets the ball when. Exactly. The reason yeah. I brought this up, or the, the thing that tipped me off to this, I mentioned, I don't remember if it was in another internal development episode anymore, if it was like weeks ago, but I mentioned uh, at one point that Payton played like 300, 400, a non-insignificant amount of minutes with DeAndre Ayton this season. And I noticed that he only assisted DeAndre Ayton in all that time, you know, enough time for them to play a stint together every game. Obviously, one guy's a starter, the other guy's a backup, but they're still playing a stint of five, six, seven minutes every game. And in all that time throughout the season, Cam only assisted Ayton 10 times, which I laid out the stats, was much lower than, than, I don't have them in front of me right now, but was much lower of a rate than Chris Paul, was much lower of a rate than Devin Booker. Um, Simply put, he was struggling to find DeAndre Ayton 
which for a guy who we typically think of as a good pick-and-roll point guard, can get his own offense and can play make, was um, bizarre. And it was also a, a bit of a red flag, something that made me want to go and dig deeper. And so what I did is I had to do these stats manually, but I specifically tallied up the percentage of each lead ball handler's uh, assists on the Suns that went to bigs. So basically DeAndre Ayton plus Dario Scharch plus Frank Kaminsky, those are the main bigs. There are a couple from... Uh, to Damian Jones from the beginning of the season, which I didn't count because it was such a small, tiny percentage. But what I, what I found was Booker led the way here with 35% of his assists going to the Suns bigs. CP3 was next with 32% of his assists. Cam was uh, down by a lot with 23% of his assists going to a combination of Aiton, Sharch, and Kaminsky. Now that's not inherently a bad thing because it means that where did Cam get his extra proportion of assists from? He often got them from driving and kicking. So he got more to Jay Crowder, more to Mikhail Bridges, more to Cam Johnson than those other guys. But what he he didn't really do such a good job of this year was like he didn't develop this chemistry with DeAndre Ayton where he could just get the first step, blow by a guy, and then toss up the lob, right? Which theoretically he should be able to do. He didn't necessarily develop a great chemistry with Dario Saric or Frank Kaminsky. I mean, he would find them maybe once or twice a game, but not as much as you would expect with pocket passes. For a guy who has his playmaking talent and his poise, the ratio is just a little bit off there. And so I think that's going to be really key this year, specifically as he's playing with JaVale McGee, who is a guy who, yes, is a veteran, but in spite of that, is a guy you want to keep engaged. And the way you keep JaVale McGee engaged, if he's only playing 15 minutes a game, you need his defensive presence. You need to keep him happy on offense. You need to develop that um, uh, alley-oop chemistry basically from the get-go. And so he needs, to, he needs to do a better job of doing that with JaVale than he did with DeAndre. I have no qualms really about his ability to do it, but I did think it was a little bit interesting when I really dug into the stats of oh, Cam isn't really, you know, he's not throwing those lob passes like we would expect, and I wonder why that is. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it's kind of, it makes sense. Like, I think it just makes sense that that's where his passes go because um, he doesn't shoot mid-range shots, so the defense isn't really coming up to him in that mid-range area that allows the space for somebody like DeAndre Ayton to cut in and get the ball uh, with the defense leaving that space at the rim. So essentially the space that Cameron Payne eats up, the space that he needs, is at the rim as well. So he's sort of competing for space with DeAndre Ayton. Like if DeAndre Ayton uh, was allowed to shoot that mid-range shot more often, I think Cameron Payne could have found him more in that mid-range area when he draws the defense in. Um, and it sort of makes sense that he struggles to, to find him there. And in, in, in ways that we've talked about before with, with DeAndre Ayton, shooting and passing and finding guys is related. It's symbiotic. If he was able to hit that mid-range shot more often or or more willing to shoot that mid-range shot, then he probably would be able to find somebody like DeAndre Ayton or JaVale McGee more at the rim. And I, I, I agree with both of you guys with this. I wrote down running a team because it's not necessarily passing because he's good at passing. You know, and it's not even necessarily decision making because he does make good decisions, but it's sort of this sort of understanding of the moment. It's the things that Chris Paul is good at and talk about a great scenario for him to come back to the NBA. Ricky Rubio, who's a great mentor, but then going directly from that to Chris Paul and playing behind Chris Paul, maybe the best guy in the league at understanding the moment and being able to learn from him. It's really the perfect scenario for someone like Cameron Payne and and the ability for him to learn 
in this scenario is going to be really beneficial uh, for him. But to me, it's no surprise that he's not necessarily finding those guys at the rim, but I still think he can do it better. And I think towards the end of the season and in the playoffs, DeAndre Ayton specifically got much better at sort of the trailing cut on the pick and roll, which Mm. is like Ayton was, was setting the screen and rolling and rolling immediately because that's what Chris Paul needs him to do. It, it, it gives Chris Paul space for mid range. And if they guard Chris Paul mid range, he's able to get that at the rim and for the lob. But if Aiton can trail a little bit more on that pick and roll, set the screen, pause, allow Cameron Payne to get to the rim, then roll. I think that it's a harder pass to make, but I think Cameron Payne is good at making it that sort of bounce pass. And obviously Aiton hands need to be on for this to work, but it did work in the playoffs. And I think Aiton could get more shots off of Cameron Payne. And I think that's a chemistry thing. He plays a lot more with Chris Paul. He does play with Cameron Payne, but I think they can find ways to do that better and, and you're right. If, if Aiton starts to lose focus, if Cameron Payne is starting some games, it's on Payne. And, you know, it's on Booker too, but it's on Payne at that point to get him back into it. And that's part of being a point guard. Um, anything else stand out to you, uh, Brandon, that you that you had for uh, his, his improvement? Yeah, that was actually on my note sheet. So I'm glad Sam brought up that point. Um, you know, I was going through, like, who he assisted to and uh, who assisted him the most. So I think... Just develop, developing that chemistry like you're talking about with bigs, uh, that'll come over time. But I think in the playoffs, where one, one, one way where uh, DeAndre is going to feast is just in that weak side dunker spot with Payne getting downhill. And like I remember specifically Zubac uh, a few times uh, in games one and two would come down to help on Payne. And DeAndre would just do – it wasn't even like a, an all-out roll to the rim. It was kind of like a half sell just to where he had enough space to get to the rim uh, with one dribble, and Payne found him on consecutive possessions. So I do think there's something to build off there, and it might not come directly off the pick and roll, um, just using guys in the dunker spot or weak side, just kind of like I was mentioning with his, his downhill gravity to help sh- like shooters in the corner get open. That could be applied to bigs as well. Um, so I think there's some different schemes they can try to like, you know, get that flowing. But, but overall, I think... Uh, you know, that'll just come with time. And again, we're sort of going out of our way to like look for these little things he can improve on. And Mm -hmm. overall, like I think that just running a team and like running the offense, controlling everything is just really uh, something that comes with reps as well. So like you said, there's, there's no one better than Chris Paul to learn from and, and Monty as well. So uh, I think he's just in in the right place and it's only going to get better. Yeah. And I think this actually goes to the point that Sam's been making, reputation lagging behind the reality of it. He isolates so much. So on a pick and roll, it's often that Cameron Payne will just wait for the switch. They'll switch on to him. He'll get a big man on him, and then he'll back up, and he'll attack in an isolation scenario. And it's not necessarily a pick and roll the same way that it is with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. You know, Sometimes Booker does that, but you're sort of boxing out for the rebound when Booker does it. Um, And, you know, right now... They're allowing that big to guard Cameron Payne one-on-one most of the time. They're not sending another guy at him when he runs at the rim. If they start to send that other guy at him, which they could as early as as next year, he needs to make that right pass, especially if they're coming off of DeAndre Ayton, which is the guy that, or JaVale McGee, which is the guys that it makes the most sense to send that second guy at Cameron Payne. And, And, you know you're isolating so much from that scenario you have to find ways to pass if they start sending that second guy at you but they haven't done it yet uh so i imagine they will do it soon right but 
you you can see how Cam being six one and like again athletic, crafty, but not the most explosive. If they start sending that extra defender at you, it's going to affect him in a way that it wouldn't necessarily affect other guys. Like he he can't just yeah. rise up over the top of two defenders and dunk it. You know he's going to start getting those layups swatted if they send extra attention. So he needs to understand what that means and, and make the right play. But I think he can. Yeah, and I think yeah. there's a parallel between Payne and the Suns as a whole. Like they're both going to have a target on their back this year. Like they're not going to catch people by surprise. So with right. Payne, he's going to be pretty high on the, the scattering reports priority list as far as worrying about him torching your second unit. So I think, um, and you know, by the, by the time the playoffs roll around, obviously he was, you know, the Clippers' number one focus and it didn't really matter. But just over the course of the season, just seeing how he's going to adjust to teams uh, taking him more seriously, I guess, is mm-hmm. the best way to put it. But mm-hmm. yeah, overall, just uh, really pleased with his development. And like I said, you know, the hot take is I think he can handle that load whenever it comes. I'm going to enjoy Chris Paul for as long as I can, and I hope it's forever. Mm-hmm. But there will come a time where Father Time wins, so uh, we yeah. can talk about that later. Yeah, well, I, yeah, you go, Mike. Sorry, I just want to bring it up again just to reiterate. In the playoffs, 29-9 and zero turnovers, 12 of 24 shot, 50% from the field. Uh, 75% from the free throw line. Like, just a very good game for Cameron Payne in the playoffs. The next game he played four minutes because he rolled his ankle early in the game and uh, early in the game for him when he first checked into the game. And then he never was really quite the same after that in the playoffs. I think he had a good stretch in the NBA Finals uh, and maybe towards the end. Well, not really, actually. When looking at the stats here game by game, he never really was quite right. I think he was playing on a on a bum ankle <laughs> for the he rest of one, the playoffs. He had one stretch in Milwaukee, like game five or six, where he kept the Suns in it for a quarter before mm-hmm. they lost. But other than that, he he wasn't right. Yeah, yeah. I think it was game six where he had ten points. But yeah, and he was plus nine. But yeah, it wasn't. He was never really quite right after that. And I think that's it, why we have not really had the chance to really appreciate just how he how good he was in this last season because he sort of ended it. On a, on a down uh, side of his game. And just just to reiterate that the importance of that one game, though, it was, it was massive. I mean, to, for a guy like him to come in and do that was really incredible. Um, there's one other thing. I don't know, Sam, it sounded like you wanted to transition to the part of the conversation, which I think this will work for him as far as confidence in his improvement. And then yeah, sure. we can tie that directly to, uh, to, to specifically whether or not we're confident that he could be the, the point guard of the future for this team. Just one other nitpicky thing I want to talk about. Um, in the playoffs specifically, he got a little too aggressive defensively and he was picking up some dumb fouls, uh, which I don't know, maybe that's the, um, Devin Booker influence <laughs> a little bit for Cameron Payne. Uh, but there were times where he was just swiping at guys for no reason, like literally no reason and getting up in their face. I mean, I think there was the famous Alex Caruso, uh, moment in the Lakers series where some for some reason Cameron Payne was ejected, but he was getting on guys' nerves and and that part is good, but picking up those dumb fouls I think in intense moments of the game was kind of something I think he needs to work on a little bit too defensively. Um, before we get into the conversation about confidence, was there anything else defensively that stood out to you guys that you think Cameron Payne could improve on? I'll take that as a no. I'm pretty, I'm, truthfully, I'm pretty pleased with his defense. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find anything that really stands out. Um, obviously, there's like little things, but nothing 
significant. Yeah, I think there are like ways that I think he could. The things that he's good at, and this is the conversation with all these guys once again, are commonly the things that make guys better. They improve at the things they're good at. That's what makes him a better player. He's already good at defense, so he can get a little bit better at the things he's good at, like moving his feet. Uh, I think effort is already there, so like for him, the effort isn't an issue for defense, but everything else I think he could get a little bit better at. And so good, Sam, health, I th- yeah, good health and aside, good health, I mean, he's yeah. 26, so yeah, the athleticism is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Sam, I think you wanted to transition to the part of the conversation about confidence that he can be well, the starting point guard of the future. What do you think? Right. I mean, Brandon's brought that up a couple times. So I think, um, yeah, I am at the point where I'm reasonably confident that Cam can be a starting point guard in the NBA. And I think you can just pause there and, and consider where he came from. Mm-hmm. And that right there is insane. Like the fact that he was out of the league to being a, I think he could be a starting point guard in the NBA. Now, that is much different from being a starting point guard on a good NBA playoff team. And I think that's where we kind of got to think about um, either Cam is really good at a lot of things at this point, but he, he, I think he either needs to become more elite at a couple of things to really fill the shoes of Chris Paul in the way that Chris Paul does, or the rest of the Suns roster, maybe he can be a starting point guard on a really good playoff team, but the rest of the Suns roster needs to compensate somehow. Because I think you can admit, I do believe he can get better. Um, to expect him to to completely fill in for Chris Paul, given what Chris Paul was doing this year, the the getting automatic buckets in the mid-range, having 40-plus point performances in the playoffs, I don't have to say that those are big shoes to fill. <laughs> what do you think, Brandon? Yeah, no, that, that, those are all valid points. Um, I think my main take on this is, like, part of it is confidence in campaign. The other part is just Devin Booker like looking at him long term you want the ball in his hands more I think just uh in general offensively so playing him next to a guard that can play off ball like a pain and also provide that downhill threat um to me it's it's a great fit in terms of like what they can do on the court and also like Sam mentioned everyone else on the team getting you know 10 percent better like in the long term so for me I've never really thought the Suns needed a Chris Paul type point guard next to Devin Booker, just like looking at the long term. I'm glad they did it. I think he's definitely necessary in the short term. But like if this team's going to reach its full peak, I don't think you need a ball dominant point guard. I think you could have someone no. like a pain uh, that can balance, you know, the playmaking and scoring with Booker. And the numbers show that, I mean, it's not a huge sample size, but it's, it's pretty solid uh, in 659 minutes. The two-man lineup with Booker and Payne, and I got it, it's a two-man lineup, uh, had a 7.1 net rating. <laughs> and, you know, Paul and Booker, in about double those minutes, had a 6.9. So they're right at that same pace yeah. um, with those two on the court. Yeah. There's not a noticeable drop-off. And I'm not saying he's, you know, as good as Chris Paul. He's not. Um, but I think just looking long-term and seeing the rest of these guys improve to the point to where do you need a star point guard for this team to reach its peak? Like, obviously, you want one. Right. If there's someone that becomes available, like James Jones will pull the trigger 100%. But if the time comes where you need a point guard, he is the candidate that's already knows the system. Uh, it's going to be a seamless transition. And, you know, uh, hopefully it's not anytime soon. But to me, like, I, I do think he could be a, a starting point guard on a good playoff team. And I think he's going to continue to get better. I mean, I definitely think he'll continue to get better. If you think that he can sustain what he's doing over 
a starting workload, then you just look at like what his per 36 minutes were this year. And per 36, he was giving you about 16 points, four rebounds, seven assists. Just, just from a quick glance at that, like that feels to me like what Cam could do as a starter. Like I, mm-hmm. I think he could give you 16 and seven as a starter. That's a good player on solid efficiency without committing many turnovers. That is absolutely yeah. a good player. And we have seen many a team win an NBA championship with a point guard who is worse than a guy who gives you 16 and seven. Yeah. Um, but if it doesn't come without the otherworldly Chris Paul IQ, like definitely Booker needs to get his 10% better, like what you said, Brandon. And also I'd feel a lot better about it. And I think this is totally feasible. If Mikhail Bridges becomes like the 20, 22 point per game kind of second option type that I think maybe he could be, it requires him having a big leap in uh, confidence and, and really understanding that his role has to change. But, like, if that happens, then, yeah, I'd feel a lot more comfortable w- with Cam being in that position for sure. Yeah, yeah. I I guess I have to be I have to be the guy that says that I do think Devin Booker needs another guy like Chris Paul, um, even in the long term. And, and it's not necessarily – it's not necessarily, like, a ball-dominant point guard. There needs to be another – and I'm going to use quotes here – ball-dominant player – next to Devin Booker in order for the Suns to reach their potential uh, or the championship level um, because that's how championship level teams operate. There's always multiple quote-unquote ball-dominant players because ball-dominant players are usually stars. And that means that if Cameron Payne becomes the starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns, they need another guy besides Devin Booker and Cameron Payne that's a star and that's considered a ball-dominant player. So whether that be at the 3, 4, or 5 whatever other positions available to them, that would be the scenario where I could see Cameron Payne being the... Because I don't see Cameron Payne ever being like a star in this league. Um, I think he could be a high-level starter, potentially. Uh, but if he's like the other guy that's the main ball handler for your team, there's a ceiling to that team that's not very high, in my opinion. You kind of run into the Conley-Mitchell problem, is what you're saying, maybe? Uh, in a sense. I don't know that he's even that... I don't know that he, yeah. I mean, I even, 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 that a, good, but. even a Mike Conley, I was thinking more like a 33-year-old Mike Conley, not like a prime yeah. Mike Conley. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a Conley-Mitchell problem this last season. Yeah, You're that's, right, a good right. way to, that's a good way to put it. And, you know, unless somebody like Mikel Bridges, who I think is the guy that we've sort of, um, in this series, I think he's the guy that stood out to me as the guy that could be the guy that uh, takes on a larger role as far as ball handling. And I still kind of don't feel like he can really get there as at, at a star 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 level of that uh so yeah i i don't know i i i would be nervous if that were the case you know losing chris paul you lose a lot and i understand factoring in these guys getting better um i'm <laughs> i mean i'm banging the same drum i've been banging uh throughout this off season when chris paul gets old and it'll happen at some point. I don't know when it'll happen. Maybe it won't happen until he's 40. But when it does happen, the Suns need another offensive fulcrum to put next to Devin Booker in order to compete for a championship. And none of the guys that are on the team currently stand out as a guy that can be that, and that includes Cameron Payne. And that means that at some point you need to replace that thing that Chris Paul does. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a ball-dominant point guard, uh, but that thing <laughs> of being able to be a fulcrum for the offense uh, is something that you'd have to replace because you need multiple versions of that guy in order to be able to do that. So, well, I guess my answer is 
yes, I think he can be the point guard of the future for the Suns, but it depends on the makeup of the rest of the team. Yeah. Of the rest of the team. But what do you think about that, Brandon? No, that's a great answer, and I completely agree. Um, I think they do need another outlet that they can go to that can create for themselves and get buckets, because that's what this is all about. And I don't think that's going to be the point guard position, whether it's Mikhail. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in him. But even if it's not mm-hmm. him, just looking to when Chris Paul comes off the books, um, there's some, there's definitely potential for a trade down the line too. So that could come in the form of – I'm just going to throw some names out and probably piss some people off, but why not? Wow. Um, J- That's a bold move. Okay, go <laughs> Jason for it. Tatum, we Pascal Siakam, just having another – wing or someone that you can throw the ball to and get buckets in the half court um what if i told you mikhail could become jason tatum i would not call you crazy Ooh. because i love mikhail bridges um that would that's ideal i think that's, that's crazy <laughs> for the record <laughs> uh it's just d- dribbling yeah i mean dribbling wait and see i would say it's just see. dribbling chris, chris soon. Dribbling. is the one hashtag soon i like to throw out there but like i don't know if he's gonna i mean there's like four or five more leaps he has to take to get to that level. I think for Chris Middleton to be your number two and win a championship, your number one needs to be Giannis. And I love Devin Booker, but he ain't no Giannis. Yeah. Not, not yeah. yet. So, yeah. yeah. But basically, long story short, I'm not sure a, a point guard is necessarily it has to be that second creator with Booker. I think there's a mm. lot of other creative ways you can find that. It's gonna. It's tough. Like, these guys don't grow on trees, obviously. We know that. Yeah. But with the way, you know, Booker plays, I think you could build a championship team with campaign as a starting point guard. But now obviously that comes with who do you have around those guys and you're going to need another reliable guard on your bench. So there, there's a lot of other, uh, a lot of nuance to this discussion that we can't really predict, but um, long, but just long-term, I think, you know, Payne definitely has another leap in him. So that's something I factor in as well. And I'm just excited mm-hmm. to see, you know, these two, grow with each other and the, the second unit in general like just looking at Payne, Shamit and uh and Johnson like that's that's really like really good mm-hmm. I was about to drop an f-bomb not sure if I'm allowed to to cuss on yeah, it you definitely are it's yeah, gonna be really fucking good so <laughs> that that trio is just gonna be a lot of fun and and add McGee in yeah there he's too. gonna I mean he's gonna bring that that interior threat that they're kind of lacking with you know just having another rim threat and uh, an outlet for campaign to just kind of on those drives just throw up and like I think that that weak side dunker spot's going to be where JaVale is just going to feast because he's always in the right mm-hmm. spot he knows what he get paid he gets paid for and that's just being yep. around the rim and dunking on people so um, yep. yeah that, that second unit's just going to be hell on wheels and I, I can't wait yeah he's got great timing on his cuts as well mm-hmm. uh, since uh, I'm, I'm sorry to use the Cameron Payne podcast to just bring this name up but as soon as Donovan Mitchell requests a trade, <laughs> you better believe I'll be making some fake trades <laughs> for the Phoenix Suns as well, just to see, uh, because I love the idea of a Donovan Mitchell-Devin Booker backcourt, <laughs> just for the record, if that ever happens. I know that would be complicated and weird, and also, Suns fans would have mixed feelings about it, um, but boy, would that be fun. I, and I, well, think I disagree. I don't think anyone would have mixed feelings about it if it actually happened. <laughs> Suns, fans, would, Suns fans have mixed feelings about the Utah Jazz franchise and the state of Utah. Yeah. In my experience, that's, took, that's what the actual... Who actually hates Donovan Mitchell, the person? He's done nothing to deserve that. Yeah, could you imagine I mean, if we took Donovan Mitchell from them? Like, that's a victory lap for the ages. Like, that's something you should yes. flex on Utah for the rest of your life if you do that. So, I, I agree that'd be an awesome fit, but... Uh, As a guy who makes a, tra- a fake trade every week, apparently, 
Suns fans have mixed feelings about every single player in the NBA that's not a Phoenix Suns player. For the record, I can make a get... fake trade. I can make a fake trade right now for Steph Curry, and there will be some Suns fans that are mad. I can make a fake trade right now for yep. LeBron James, and there will be some Suns fans that will be mad. Or, for example, Carl Anthony Towns. If I made a fake trade right now for Carl Anthony Towns, there They'd will be some mad. Suns fans that are mad. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't. So, hey, you can't have a hundred percent approval on anything. If there's anything well, I we mean, know yeah. it's that. And fake trades are the most dangerous game <laughs> in the NBA media business. I think you're asking for people to be mad uh, at that point. But um, back to Cameron Payne. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about as far as confidence of the things that he can improve? Because I feel like his shooting is sort of at a level where maybe he'll get slightly better at pull-up three-point shooting, which would be a remarkable thing because it's, it's already just extremely, extremely good. Um, you know, obviously we talked about that mid-range area. Maybe he'll get better at pulling up from mid-range, but I think mechanically that seems like a, a not a super likely thing to happen uh, for him, in my opinion. Defensively, we talked about it. I mean, there are things he can improve, but like it's just not. I mean, we get slightly better. Is there anything else that stands out to you guys as something that you're confident that he'll improve at as early as next season? I would just say familiarity with the team, just like getting all those reps is really going to help him. Um, just the continuity in general, like, I think that's going to help with him running the offense and, and finally finding a home. Like that's kind of underrated for a lot of players in general. And now that he's, you know, got the bag secured and he's here for three years and he really wants to be here um, in a system that is so player friendly and is predicated on, you know, getting people involved. Like I think just continuing to just learn how to be a point guard, run the offense, uh, you know, the lob, like throwing up the lobs to JaVale, should make his life easier and hopefully that translates with uh, DeAndre too when he's in that first unit um, yeah I think the chemistry with him and Booker too is just another reason why I'm so confident in that like uh, Booker assisted him on 21 of his 83 assisted made field goals and the second closest on the team wasn't even in double digits so you know obviously they played with each other quite a bit and Booker's going to get you know the, the lion's share of those assists but just seeing that shows that I think those two kind of have a, a special chemistry and maybe we'll see some more three guard lineups because um, it's a long season. Hope so. Hope so. Um, I, yeah, it's funny. Internal development. We named this series that because of the number of times we were using that phrase, it was just tongue in cheek mm -hmm. and continuity, I think is quickly becoming our next catchphrase of, I think we've <laughs> mentioned the power of continuity and what it can do in every single episode. But I stand yeah. by it, and I think that's going to be, you know, we all talked about Cam's feel as a point guard um, and the way he gets guys involved and, and makes decisions and whatnot, and I do think continuity is going to help with that. Right, right. Let me quickly just send Cage a message to cue up the community theme song uh, so we can make a <laughs> continuity theme <laughs> for our future episodes. Perfect, uh, perfect. Shout out to Cage. But yeah. He's a man. Yes, shout out to Cage who made our uh, great video uh to promote this series of episodes. Yeah, and I think Cameron Payne, I think the thing about him is I'm fully confident he's going to work really hard on his game. And that's a nice place to be with a player when we're talking about development and internal development going forward. He's going to work hard. I know he will because he had to work hard to get here. And I know he's not going to take advantage of the opportunity that he was given and the payday that he got. And even that payday can be a lot more if he does well under this amazing contract that the Phoenix Suns gave him. I'm confident he's going to work hard. I'm confident he's going to improve uh, almost as much as or more than any player that we've done in this series because we've seen it and we've seen the effort that he puts out there. 
Um, it's just, I love Cameron Payne <laughs> and we all love Cameron Payne, I think. And that's why it's fun to do this episode. And, uh, and it's been fun to talk to you, Brandon. And thank you very much for joining us. Um, make sure to follow Brandon at Zona hoops underscore on Twitter. Uh, go to zonahoops.com, Check out his website. They write about the Phoenix suns there. Other things as well. I'm sure. Um, Brandon, is there anything else that you'd like to, to promote? Uh, yeah, a couple things. So first of all, like, thanks for having me on. This entire series is just a brilliant idea, and I think it's really cool to uh, not only have, like, the awesome guests you've had, but just bring it all together. And uh, hopefully I can continue to get, you know, 5 to 10% better, too, and internally develop um, with my content. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, the Ooh. Sunnies are coming, and October 5th, uh, you know, circle that on your calendars. It's going to be a, a really fun time. Um, other than that, you yeah, have to check me out at Zona Hoops. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everyone who listened to our internal development series. This is our last episode about a player for the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, a lot more to talk about soon. The season is coming up. We'll be back very soon with our regular episodes previewing the next season of Phoenix Suns basketball. Thanks, everyone.